Well, how's it going, everyone? Today, our special guest is Tim Jacobus, who, from my childhood through the 1990s, and I'm dating myself here a little bit, uh, he was the reason why I really picked up a book and a, a book outside the a school reading list book. And those books have served their purpose, but I was never the person to kind of jump in and read a book. And because of his illustrations in the Goosebumps series, close to 100 books, uh, you kind of shaped my childhood. And so, so to have you on the show, uh, this just means a lot to me, Tim. So hopefully uh, you are doing well. I am well, and that's very cool. It's uh, it's nice that after uh, all these years, you still look back on it uh, fondly. Yeah, it's it is fascinating because, like I said, I don't know if it was the perfect timing, and we'll talk about how Scholastic and you got with Arl Stein and stuff. But I was that age, and so I I'm probably ten to fifteen that age range there, and. I wasn't really into the reading aspect. Like I had to read Johnny Tremaine or To Kill a Mockingbird. And looking back now, those are incredible books. But I wasn't someone to go into a library or a bookstore and gravitate to a, to a, a book like that because the cover was just the cover. Yours have these colors that look like, looking back now, it's like the Asia or Tangerine Dream album covers. And whatever it was, the colors, and I just resonated with me. And so like the first topic I like to discuss with you is was it your aim to help kids appreciate reading based on art or was it one of those things where it was a perfect storm at the right time? Um, I, I didn't start out that way. No, I, I gotta be perfectly honest. I would love to tell you that that was something that was planted in my brain and that uh, I wanted to, to help kids, especially boys uh, get into reading. But when I started uh, doing book covers, I was doing the traditional 18 and over market. That's where the majority of the book covers were. Uh, my style leaned a little bit more towards the younger kids and I be began to get those young adult uh, book covers. One-offs, nothing, you know, nothing in a series, just individual covers here and there. And um, the Goosebumps thing came up quite by accident. Now, just to stay on the, that, the, the, the theme of what you were talking about, Goosebumps was originally geared towards girls. It wasn't geared towards... Really? Yeah, because there was no boys reading market. It didn't exist. You weren't alone. They just couldn't sell a lot of books to boys. So what ended up happening was the original books were, were literally geared towards girls, and it was a very short time before they realized they were getting traction with with boys, and that was that was a game changer. So um, they began to market towards it. Uh, everybody was caught off guard that you know again, kids who you know we we heard from numbers of teachers and parents saying you know my my son never read before or my students never read before, and they're 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 getting in line to get a hold of these books. Now, what was fascinating about them is outside the subject matter, whether it's uh, chicken eggs from another planet or a werewolf or a, whatever it was, the central theme is teamwork, family, good versus evil. And so that's kind of why it was a creative way to kind of draw me, me myself in to those type of themes that you could obviously get from another book, but I wasn't going to read that book. And I, for that, I mean, it's, it's just incredible when you 
even now I'm 35 and I can pick up those books now. I can t- literally tell you when I, just by the creases on the pages, I was so intent on that what happens on that page or, okay, this is what's going to happen to this character. And I mean, there's over a hundred books. And for me to do that, it, it really resonated. And it was, it was also uh, Bob Stein's writing style. And so, you know, the books are 120 pages or, or in that, in that realm and they're broken up into chapters and then at the end of each chapter, he's leaving you hanging. There's a hook on the end of the chapter. So even if you're not a good reader, you get to that end of that first 15 or 20 pages and you're forced or you're anxious to get to the next to the next chapter. So then you'll read through the next chapter. So even his writing style was very encouraging for you to keep on going just to see what happened next. How was that dynamic when you first, I mean, obviously Scholastic reaches out and they're like, hey, we need this, we want you to do this for this, and then it picks up from there. But when you first have interactions with with R.L. Stein, Bob, is there any type of trepidation on your side or his side where it's like, this is make or break for both of us? (laughs) No. So... um... It's an inter- there's there's two things here. There's an interesting dynamic. First off, the anticipation from everybody was not good. They didn't think Goosebumps was going to do very well. Uh, it was the first time that they had introduced any sort of horror-based uh, series to an age group that young. They had done the the, the little older kids, the you know the the fifteen, sixteen-year-olds, and and. Uh, Bob was writing the uh, Fear Street, and and they were doing pretty well. And he was busy with that, and he was, you know, he wasn't in any sort of. Uh, I've heard him tell the story, so I'm not speaking, you know, right. I'm not making this up. Uh, you know, he didn't feel it a, a need. You know, it was like I I got this thing going; it's going pretty good. I don't know if I need another series. Um, I was told up front that you know, listen, we're not really sure this is going to work. Um, so what we'll do is, and, and, and we're sorry to say we don't have a, the normal budget that we would normally have for these book covers. So if you'll please do these and it doesn't go anywhere, we promise you, we'll put you on another series that, you know, will be successful. So, um, I just read the first couple of manuscripts well they the i have only <laughs> read one complete manuscript when it came to the goosebumps book uh the, the the very first one uh welcome to dead house was the most complete uh written material that i saw and soon as i read it i just went oh this is cool I, you know i don't care if i'm not gonna make a, you know bank on this let's just let's just do this this seems like fun i, I I'll, I'll do a couple of these and um so, um, yeah, so, again, nobody thought it was going to be this gangbuster uh, thing. The second thing that's odd that most people don't know is um, authors work with editors, illustrators work with art directors, and art directors and editors inside of any book company are the ones who collaborate. So I don't uh, – and. At no time did I speak with Bob, and did he ever speak with me? Yeah, it was. 
we were probably two years into the series before we ran into each other at an at an event and introduced ourselves and you know just started to but we we never through the whole series ever had a hey you know uh, you know what we got this story and it's got a werewolf in it you know what do you think you're going to do nothing none of that none of that ever happened he he uh would be writing the book at the same time I was doing the cover i would get some sort of synopsis. Sometimes I got a couple of pages. Uh, sometimes I got a chapter. Mostly I got something very outlining, you know, one paragraph. Here's what the story is. Here's where we're at. Okay, have at it. So that was better for me than the actual, you know, like if I got a whole book, I would start to feel boxed in because I would read what right. he put into it and I'd would feel obligated to make sure that I was matching everything that I read. The fact that none of that stuff was there was kind of like, okay, here you go. Have it, you know, make it happen. See what you can come up with. Um, so I, I think that uh, worked to our advantage. Um, we, we both had, uh, him and I have had discussions in recent years, you know, uh, that, that again, to anybody who may be listening tonight, Goosebumps was, you know, 25 years ago was our first. Which seems insane. <laughs> it does seem insane. I, I, I know for you, it does. You, you know, like you were young and now you're a man. I was always, you know, I know I'm a lot older, but I was a man and I'm still a man. And the fact that this is still going on is, is mind, mind blown. Absolutely mind blown. Um, so when that movie comes out a couple of years ago, the Jack Black, um, that must be kind of full circle for you because here it's always kind of cool to see someone whose idea or book or whatever poem becomes like this bigger entity. And for that to kind of have that kind of tongue in cheek thing with you in there too, with that kind of fake cover in the book, like it's, that, that must be cool for you to see like, man, this is something I've been a part of that is still part of pop culture lexicon. And, and what was neat about the movie was, you know, uh, Bob, you know, we were at an event and he said, oh, there's going to be a movie. So this is like three years before it's going to come out. And then, you know, we're at something else and he goes, oh, yeah, we, you know, all of the, the live action stuff is shot. And now they're going to go do the, you know, the, the special effects. So it was another year of them putting in the special effects. And at that point, no one's asked me to do anything. So it's okay. I'm on the outside. I'm going, yeah, this is cool. I'm really glad they're doing something. Because uh, over the course of the 25 years, there had been uh, rumors and tries at making a movie that just never quite got the traction. So the, the fact that this was really happening was was great. It was, you know, I was thrilled. I thought Jack Black was a mismatch at the beginning until I saw him in the movie and I was won over, I'm sure, just like everybody else was. I thought, right. you know, I because I know I know R.L. Stein, so I'm going, this isn't, these aren't the right. same. Right. I pictured like a Ben Stein, kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. Very, right. know it all. It was very yeah. sophisticated. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but uh, I, so my, uh, just to, to wrap up my thought on this was, so now, 
the release date is already set for Halloween of that year. And I'm going up, oh, you know, I'm a little disappointed. I'm like, ah, you know, it would have been great to be part of this. And uh, I got called uh, literally at the end of August, beginning of September. They were trying to put together that closing sequence of the movie. They wanted the Goosebumps cover to be on it, and they were trying to make one themselves and having no luck. And, at the, you know, he said it, and it was one of those things where they're all working on it, and somebody just blurted out, uh, isn't that guy Tim around? Can he just make us one? And, I, and all of them kind of went, oh, yeah, that would be a great idea. So, uh, yeah, I got called up at the last minute, got to come in like, uh, you know, uh, Got to come in out of the bullpen. They called the lefty in. I got to come in and throw one more time, and uh, yeah, it was fun. It was it was a lot of fun. Now, last week I read an article on one of the. Uh, I always follow those horror websites, whether it's movies or music, or whatever. And they actually there's a book coming out, I believe, based on the Goosebumps. But your work is going to be in the book as well, which that book looks incredible too. So again, to see Goosebumps slowly creeping back up into this. The current state—it's just—it's pretty cool. Yeah, the, uh, the 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 book has uh, went through a lot of iterations. It started, it stopped. It's a it's a weird thing. So, although it is a book about it's a it's about the initial the first this book is about the initial Goosebumps series, the classic series, and the series two thousand. So, the work that's being featured is my artwork from from cover to cover. Um, but it was bought by a company who bought the rights from Scholastic. So they don't really need me to make right. the book. So the only reason why I had any real exposure to the book beforehand was a close friend of mine, uh, out, of the, out of all the people they could pick in the world, this company called up for him to put the book together. So... He's like, uh, do you know they're doing a book on you? And I was like, well, I heard about it, but, you know, I heard it wasn't getting anywhere. He's going, well, I'm going to be the one putting it together. I said, well, if you're putting it together, you know where I I've got all the files in the attic, so I'll trust you with them. If I didn't know you, I wouldn't be giving up this stuff. So he had access to everything that I ever saved. This guy put in a ton of work, scanning endless amounts of stuff. So there's a lot of art that's in there, preliminary stuff, early sketches, things that no one's ever seen before. And, uh, yeah, uh, it's it, it could be a very cool book. Oh, it's great. It, to kind of step back a little bit, every time I went to the, the bookstore, it seemed like there was always a new Goosebumps book, or I was always one or two behind. What was the deadline for not only the book, but your part of the cover? Like, did you have a set timeline where – you need this draft done this day, and by this X amount of days, you need to have this submitted to Scholastic. Yes, uh, we were. It was a it was a a solid one month cycle, you know. So we were always multiple months ahead of what you saw at the store that was delivered at the beginning of that month. We were, I think, we were four ahead, um, but it was a lockstep thing. Okay. You deliver that job Monday. Here's the new description of what the book's about. Okay, I got to get on the sketches. Let's get these sketches done, send them over, get them approved. Then 
make some changes on those sketches and then go to the final painting and make sure you deliver it by such and such a date. It was, a, I, I got a full month. Um, start to finish, they took about a week, you know, give or take 35, 40 hours of work. So there was room in there, but I was always doing multiple book covers at the same time. Uh, Goosebumps wasn't the only series of work I was doing and I needed to do other jobs to, you know, make a living. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was a, but it was, it was the best scenario that you could have as a, as a working illustrator to know that there was always a good job waiting for you at the beginning of every month, you know, that it's going to be there and it lasted like that for 10 years. Now, would you would you get the the gist of what you're supposed to be painting? Do you have a set process? Like, are you drinking? Do you do it in the morning? Drink coffee? Listen to music? Like, how do you how do you creatively get in that zone to create something that the author doesn't really have an idea yet either? Yeah, uh, it's it's not a you don't uh, you know again artists working artists I'm sure are all a lot like me. And a lot of guys, you know, people have a misconception that you wait for inspiration and, you know, there's, you know, you're in, you hear people describing famous artists work like, oh, they were in the blue period. And you know, that's all, you know, that's not how it works. It's a job and you got to get up and you got to get at it and you got to work hard and you got to draw and paint whether you feel like it or don't feel like it. So uh, I'm a I'm a morning person. I do way better early on. So uh, I get up early. I do drink a lot of coffee, probably too much coffee. Uh, I know I've drank too much. If my hand is shaking, that means that's not good. Can't get as much work done. So there's a barometer there. Um, so yeah, there was a, always a, uh, you know, a fixed schedule to, to getting things done. Um, the idea was stay, um, stay, stay in control of your time and, and work full days, but don't get yourself behind or get yourself to the point where you're now working a 20 hour day or you're working around the clock because you can only do that one cycle. Yeah. Okay. If you get behind and you work around the clock, you're no good tomorrow. So right. the clock and, right. And you may have to need another day to recover from that. So the idea of keeping your workday control, get a lot done during your, you know, your eight to 12 hour segment, but you got to know when to stop as well. Get yourself, you know, eat well, get some sleep. Uh, you know, I like my, I like my drinks just like everybody else, but you know, don't, don't drink too much during the week and, you know, just all that stuff that everybody has to do. But there's a there's a there's a physical aspect to it. You know, like you, you got to treat yourself a little bit like an athlete, you know, rest, eat well and, and get some exercise because the name of the game is sitting still and sit in this chair as long as I can sit in this chair and get stuff done. But. 
that's not good for you physically either. So again, leave yourself some time to get up out of the chair and go outside or get yourself a little bit of exercise or something because it all, you know, you got to clear your brain out too. Now, are you a shoe guy? Because I noticed the theme where a lot of the characters on the cover have Converse on. Is right. that something that was subliminally added on your part? Or, or are there other things like that where you've kind of creatively added to each cover where people can kind of see like the, the general theme kind of continue through each cover? I, uh, I wore, I, and I still do wear uh, Converse high top all-star sneakers. Uh, they were just the, my favorite brand. I wore them when I was in high school. I still wear them today. Uh, so when there was an opportunity to put those sneakers in the paintings, I'm just putting them in because I want to put them in. Nobody else cared. Uh, at the beginning, no one really noticed. And then one of the art directors picked up on it and they're like, oh, that's cool. Like it's a secondary theme that you've got running through the, the, the stories. So uh, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a sneaker collector. I don't have, you know, I don't have 22 different pair of cons. I, uh, you know, I have. Did Converse ever do a collaboration with Goosebumps? Like, <laughs> no. like, that seems like that'd be a perfect opportunity. It's funny. So, uh, years later, this, so there's a, a story that I tell about my mom. Uh, you know, I had, I wore my sneakers so much they would smell just awful. And my mother used to say, you know, someday you're going to have to get a real job and you're going to have to wear real shoes and get rid of these stinking sneakers. And of course, I never got a real job. And uh, I would get the Goosebumps covers for her. And then she would see the sneakers in the Goosebumps covers. And she would always roll her eyes and go, oh, there's those stinking sneakers. So uh, that story just became a, you know, everybody knew the story. And uh, I got interviewed by CNN once and they featured a clip of that. And uh, it got to the people over at, at Converse Sneakers. And um, that I had, a, I, you know, they reached out to me. I reached out back and I just said, hey, you know, how about some how about awesome. sneakers? You got some free advertising. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, no, here's, here's a 20% off coupon, and you can get <laughs> So, yeah, I got a 20% off just like anybody else, I think, who ever reached out to them. So, no, is the, is the, is the short answer. Now, one of the cool stories I kind of want to research you, in Revenge of the Law Gnomes, originally, one of the gnomes was picking his nose. That's correct. And, but then it got changed. I think him scratching his head or kind of like whatever – pointing and so when that happens is that late in the game when they're yeah. like a 12th hour edit yes yeah this was uh, uh everybody who saw it you know was in the original sketch that he was his finger was up his nose we finished the painting everybody laughed it was you know uh, and but we're getting ready to go um you know it's it's been i think they even so uh, all the art was traditional art on a board. So there was also a step in the process where the painting went to a photographer to get a, a you know, a special reproduction done of it that was going to be used for production. And um, I think we had even done that step and somebody, I don't know who, or, you know, what, what level of person saw it, but the idea was Scholastic was 
had a, a big operation with the book clubs at the schools. It was a business and just somebody was, I think somebody who was very strongly associated with the school was going, I don't know, you know, yeah, this is funny, but is this, you know, what we want to be sending to the schools? Is there a chance they may reject this one? You know, will people get uptight? And, you know, just to be on the safe side, you know, they had me pull it back and, and do that. But to everybody's credit there, that was really the only correction that I had to do. And that's not really, you know, that yeah, wasn't it's, it's a cool story now. Yeah. And, uh, so are there covers right now that are always going to be in your top five or there's some that are always kind of changing based on what's happening in your life or the, the feedback on them and stuff? Yeah, they change. Um, you know, uh, there's a there's there's ones that you know I look at and I I I, I enjoy a lot. There's ones that I just have you know uh, good memories of. Ones that I thought you know like when I got the description of what the the cover was, I'm going, oh, man, I don't really know what to do, and it doesn't really seem scary. And you know, you know, I, I, can I pull this one off? So, uh, you know, uh, one that I talk about often is Egg Monsters from Mars. Um, it, you know, there was nothing about it. It was an egg, and eggs aren't scary. <laughs> and I had to come up with something, and, you know, it was one of those ones you worked and you worked. And even in, in the pencil stages, I was like, ah, not sure if it's there. But then when I started to paint it, I got excited and said, yeah. This is this is gonna work. This will this What's will be cool about that cover. I thought was the way the cupboards, like the dishwasher, almost looked like it had an evil face, but the cupboards are so warped that it kind of fit the obscurity of something that should not be scary or any remotely engaging. But I'm just like, I got I, now I got to read this one because this is so outrageous. And that was something that we started to do. We did, you know, that warped perspective thing was something that we did a little early and I didn't do it very much. And then as time went on, I started to see how that was really helpful in just those scenarios where it took a regular looking kitchen and made it, you know, someplace you'd never seen before or you never will. And uh, it made for cool environment. And it also gave me the opportunity to take that egg carton and move it real close but then warp the perspective and show you the whole kitchen in real 3D perspective. I couldn't pull all of that off. Was it difficult to, once you have a book, a bunch of your things, whether it was Monster Bud or Night of the Living Dubby, like you had to create other, like the series, like the different sequels to those actual original books. Was it difficult to stay creative on those to make each one stand out on its own besides the fact it said part two or part three or anything like that? Not really. Uh, I, I'm glad I didn't know up front uh, that there was going to be multiple versions of something because I think that would have influenced the one I was working on. So the fact that I never knew there was going to be, you know, Slappy was going to appear three or four different times, um, that I, that was more of a help than a hindrance. But um, no, because there was, you know, again, the description that Bob put down on paper was different enough, and it said it gave me something to work with. And I was like, "Oh, all right, this one, you know, we're going to do this." And you know, now there's a whole bunch of dummies, so let's put them all in the attic, and 
give Slappy some friends. Now, I, I assume digital is easier for you in a sense, but when did that time frame hit you in terms of the physical aspect of the painting with your actual painting and drawing and sketching versus the digital? Did that speed up your, or is that a whole other thing you had to learn to play catch up with? So the introduction to digital was for me kind of a, a rough go. Um, I had spent um, the first 20 years of my career painting traditionally. And you could see that computer art was coming down the pipe. And it was, you know, this is now 1999, 2000, 2001. And you could see the book market was moving towards it. And I didn't, you know, I had no computer background. I didn't even, you know, again, you got to remember there's no internet. There's no, I mean, that stuff exists, but we're all not using any of it on a regular basis. You know, cell phones are limited. We have beepers and the computer that is affordable to somebody like me is not all that great of a computer. And, um, you know, was so I had a rep at the time and we had a lot of discussions about it saying, if you want to, you know, it's kind of, if you want to stay in the business, you're going to kind of have to learn how to do this. So what I was glad that uh, I did was I got one before I had to have it so I could start working on it right. and still be painting traditionally and making some money and getting a little bit better because the learning curve was, you know, it's a flat line. I brought nothing over. Uh, you know, I, I could, you know, draw a little on the, the tablet, but after that, I didn't know how to do anything. And, the, the, you know, the work was, it was so frustrating. The, the work was garbage. And I was just going, oh my God, I went from being, you know, I went from being, you know, a, a master, you know, black belt, you know, right. I hear to, to an infant, I, I I can't do any of this. And then I would ruin stuff and the computer would crash and it was terrible. Slowly but surely you bang your head against it enough times and it starts to come around. And quickly you start to realize, oh, this is gonna open up a lot of doors. I'm gonna be able to do stuff here that I could never do before. And uh, it's just a different tool. And then I became obsessed with that. And it became very cool because this is now a whole new world of all different things, all different ways of using it. There's varying uh, software. I mostly use Photoshop, but again, there was a bunch of things that were there to learn. It's not a real lot faster. It's a little faster, not a lot faster, because then you just end up spending more time on other things. And but the, the real thing that's the the prize winner, hands down, is I deliver my job to you. You tell me you don't like the background. In the old days, that was a big deal. Okay, I'll see you in like four days where you tell me you don't like the background. I say, hold on a minute. And I open the file and I, you know, the, the background's on its own layer. And now I can adjust it and I can shoot it right over to you. You say, how about that? If you don't like that, I'll make you three more. Like the ability to change and have your artwork ready for the printer. That's where the, you can't, you know, you can't beat digital art. I love that. Now, then, 
just one last thing just to, to close the loop. So then while I'm in digital, I'm not doing anything traditional. And it's only oh. been in the last few years where I'm going, all right, I do have skills that I spent a lot of time on that, you know, a lot of people don't have because they weren't forced to be a traditional artist. And I'm doing a lot of crossover stuff where I start traditional, then I put it in digitally, then I'll do something else traditional. I'll put it back, I'll pull it back out and maybe print it and then paint on the print and then scan it back in. So try to do multiple level stuff to combine the true the two worlds and see what I can come up with. Does the year like 2020 affect you creatively in terms of what is going on around you in the world in general, or is that something where you can kind of just, just stay laser focused in your lane? I cut both ways. Um, the first part of it was when it first happens, we all don't know what's going on. Right. And there's a lot of, upheaval uh you know you, you the, the i remember the first week or so and now the supermarkets are being cleared out uh i have friends that are being you know not unlike yourself are being sent home their jobs you know like it was scary but i wasn't i was still living in my bubble you know yeah there was jobs that disappeared you know people who were uh, you know it, especially with work with bands you know, they're like, look, we don't know what's going on. I know we said we wanted to do an album cover. We're putting that on hold right now. But for the most part, uh, I did, you know, I stayed busy and busy enough. Um, then the, the, but the other side of it is the idea that I have to sit here to do my work that's never changed. I've been sitting here and sitting still and doing my work for years. And if, if anything, it was easier to not be distracted because there wasn't anything else going on. There wasn't a cool show down the street at the local bar where a great band was playing where I want to go, ah, oh, you know, I'm going to blow it off early. I want to go down there. Or, oh, you know, there's a con in Indianapolis. I'm going to get on a plane and, 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 and go to and have some fun at a all that disappeared. So it was like, well, you might as well get submerged in your work and see what you can do and stay creative and get stuff done. So, um, yes, it was different, but no, it wasn't that different. So I was, I was lucky. You've also dabbled in, you mentioned the album covers, um, Ravage is one of them, but when you do stuff like the Star Trek, uh, board game stuff, that's a whole other gigantic pop culture thing. Do you find that because your work is so prolific, a specific style that some brands, whether it's Star Trek or Star Wars or Harry Potter, they'd be like, oh, we can't have him because two people know how good he is with the other stuff. Does that ever come into play? And only, only one time it came into play. For the most part, people know my work, but they don't know my name. And um, so okay, it, it makes sense. Right? Yeah. And, 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 and that's a that's a real natural. So, uh, you know, if somebody says, oh, you know, Tim's going to be working on this and they're, you know, and then I do a sketch, then nobody cares anymore. They there's a sketch for them to look at and they know my name's Tim. So they don't have to say, hey, you when they talk to me. Nobody cares. But if they do know, then it can be, you know, like you say, they could be influenced going, well, I don't know. 
near the end of the Goosebumps uh, run, uh, I got asked to do some Teletubby books. Wow. Yeah, and that there's 180 degrees out. <laughs> I mean, talk about the colors. I mean, that's good color scheme for you. Yeah, color scheme worked fine, and they're trippy little dudes. So, <laughs> I, you know, it, it really isn't as different as you would think it is. But the guy who was Mr. Teletubby, I forget his name, uh, found that I was the guy who did Goosebumps, and he he wasn't thrilled at all that I was working on it because he was like, oh, you know, his stuff will have an evil edge to it. It's not, you know, he's going to turn my my characters into monsters. So uh, we did, I actually had to do a, all right, I understand your apprehension. I'll do a, I'll do a, a, a painting for you because we had, th these were picture books. So there was lots of artwork that needed to be done. So we picked one that was simple and I said, I'll do this one. And if you don't like it and you think it doesn't match your, your branding, then you can have it for free. And, but if it works, we don't talk about this anymore. And I do the rest of the book. So that's what we ended up doing was I did him a sample and he relaxed and we went forward from there. Now, the Teletubby, they actually are more probably horrifying to me than any cover you've ever done. Just, there's something about them. They're just really creepy. It was weird. They're, you know, and that I was I was deep in the Teletubby world because I needed to find out all the different things. And it was funny because my my son was born right when I started working on that project. So they were sending me, you know, VHS tapes of, you know, Teletubby things and uh, so I, we have them everywhere. There's pictures of Teletubbies and the VCR is playing Teletubbies. And then my son would come in and sit on my lap and he was literally like one or two years old. And now there's paintings of Teletubbies. He must, he must think that they were like gods or something the way we had them around our house. Uh, he, he grew up pretty normal though. So I don't think it damaged him too much. One of the uh, growing up is always like, don't judge a book by its cover. And I get, I get the gist of it. I get why you do that, especially when it comes to people and cultures and stuff. But for for books themselves, I literally judge books by the covers. And someone like you, like I was drawn in to the Goosebumps for your for your kind of for your art. Obviously, it drew me in. The book was the book, but your art dropped me there, and I was dedicated about every book. Are there artists out there for you that draw you in, say, based on the book or the album? Or, like, is there art out there that kind of just brings you in where you might not necessarily have been attracted to the, 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 not the writing itself or the inside, the music, but the actual art brings you in? Yeah. I, I, you know, when you early on, with anything else. So as an artist, there are other artists work that, you know, I'm just drawn to, and I don't care if their art was on the wrapping of toilet paper. If the, you know, if it's a full color thing, I'm probably going to go buy it Cause I like that guy's work. So to, to, you know, I, sure. There were, there were uh, artists who were on albums where I would buy the album anyway, knowing full well, that wasn't, you know, my taste in music. Um, but um, th there's always that that thing where when the right artist is on the right 
album, you know, with, it, with music more than anything, but with books as well. But uh, the one that really hit for me was uh, when I was growing up, I was a huge fan of the band Yes. Awesome. And they had an a, a illustrator who did all their album covers named Roger Dean. And Roger Dean and Yes tied up right at the, you know, like right at that beginning part of the, the you know, the launch of their careers. And the work just complemented each other. They, you know, he wasn't doing album covers to tell the story of the album and they weren't writing to complement his art. Just happened that way. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, that was a that was a huge a huge thing for me. And that also was kind of an introduction to me to say, yeah, I, I like paint. I'm in high school. I like to paint. Oh, this is a job. This could be like this could be a career. This is a thing. And I got to look into this and see, you know, how do how, how do you do this? So um, I'm glad I was. Uh, it was uh, there was a lot of ignorance in those right. early years because if I really knew the chances I was taking, you know, I might have talked myself out of it. So now, if you have your son or young kids or even people that want to get into your field. Uh, obviously you're someone who's going to tell them watch out for these pratfalls and this is actually work and you're going to, you're going to be, a, the, so stuff like that. Are you, how are you helping people kind of when they approach you? Hey, I, I want to do what you do. Like obviously a lot of people don't realize the amount of work you have to do to be even remotely half as successful as you. And so does that kind of help you kind of guide people in the right direction or how do you even, are there some days where you're like, hey, you might not want to do this? Or you might not do that. <laughs> well, so, um, yeah, no, that's a that's a good point. It used to be when early on in my career, um, it you know, I used to hear from a lot of artists and they would ask, you know, how did you get, you know, how did you get that first book cover? And so I used to tell the story of, you know, taking the artwork and, 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 driving in the car and going to the book publisher and dropping all your, your portfolio and waiting for it. Like none of that stuff happens anymore. Like that's not, that was a reality 40 years ago or, you know, the, or 30 years ago, but that's not, it's not even how anything is done anymore. So it's good that that information isn't there because again, you know, uh, I had that, that luck of living, just outside of New York City. I'm, I'm 45, 50 minutes away. So the city was accessible. So there wasn't anything digital. You didn't send anything that way, but I could get in and show my artwork around and not go broke trying to right. do it. Uh, to your point though, I do spend a lot more time talking about, you know, well, what is it, you know, that it, you know, this the simple stuff. I, I mean, it's it's really basic. Don't, you know, if you want to get into the art field, don't pick a style or, or, or a trend that you're not excited by because it is what you're going to be doing every day. And if you, you're doing it just for the money, you'll be out of this before you know it because, you know, uh, I, I'm sure professional baseball players look like they have a pretty good life, but I'll bet you 
by the time September rolls around, they have had it and anything other than baseball is what they want to be doing, but they take a little break and then all of a sudden, you know, the itch comes back. So, you know, art is kind of the same way. It's, it's kind of like, you know, if you still find that joy, I'm going to jump another sport and go, okay, basketball. If you still like going outside, grabbing the ball and shooting a couple of foul shots, because that's just the basic shot. And you still find that's still fun, or there's still something to that. That's kind of the way the artwork goes. Uh, I like drawing for me. Uh, I know when I've done something uh, better than I thought. I know when I've done something that's not as good as I was hoping it would be. I always give it all I got, but sometimes it, it clicks and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, I try not to be uh, influenced by what other people say because yeah, I mean, it's it's wonderful, but I'm at a point in my career and there's a lot of people who come with a lot of uh, nostalgia and they, you know, they love everything I've done. And that's what they tell me about is how much they love this and love that. Uh, I, I'm I still have to be my uh, my my biggest critic and, and, and look for those things to, to, to help make me better. So, yeah, it's it's mostly do it because you love it. And no matter what, and that goes with anything that you do, right. uh, you know, it, it, it's not even limited to, to the creative field. It, it's anything. Um, you know, uh, I have friends who are in the trades and they're masters at what they do. And I know they're just as thrilled, you know, today as they were when they started, you know, all those years ago. Right. Yeah. It's important to keep maintain that passion is even more so have that passion even grow and uh no that's that's awesome so before i let you go i know we talked about that upcoming book with your artwork and stuff but what other stuff coming in where can people find you social media and stuff like that uh uh social me media it's uh, uh facebook just tim jacobus i'll pop up uh instagram same way tim jacobus i'm my name will pop up on the top of the list uh jacobus studios is the name of my website um, I have drawings and prints available through that. Uh, what I did start doing uh, during the pandemic, um, uh, going back to what we had talked about where, you know, I was lucky enough to keep things going. Uh, I am selling uh, Goosebumps prints. Um, there's uh, eight, eight of them available. Um, and uh, they, they run about $25. But uh, $10 out of every sale uh, goes to the purchase of food. And then we take that food and we bring it down the street to the food bank. So I buy the food. So 100% of that $10 goes to purchasing food. And so half the money basically from the, the proceeds of the posters. Yeah, goes you posted a good picture, I think, on Facebook with the truck full of all the food. Right. Um, which, that's awesome, man. That's yeah, so cool. I try to I take one every time I make a delivery so everybody knows for real we're getting a bunch of food, we're loading it in the truck, and we're taking it down the street. So, uh, you know, uh, people wonder, uh, you know, we've all heard horror stories about when you give to a charity, well, how much money is really going 
to the charity. And um, this is still small enough to where, you know, my biggest problem is humping the boxes into the truck right. and getting them down. That's that workout for you. <laughs> well, the other day the guy came and the boxes broke open and tomato sauce, these big giant half gallon containers of tomato sauce smashed open and rolled down the walkway. So I have uh, I have the reddest walkway in the neighborhood. I love that. Well, I want to thank you, Tim, for jumping on here with me. It's been uh, quite an honor to actually hear from the man himself. It kind of uh, helped me enjoy reading much more than I wanted to. And uh, it's, uh, it was, again, it was a blast. And uh, thank you for your time. And uh, be I appreciate the, I appreciate the invite, John. Uh, you know, uh, I, 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 I can't tell you how surprised I am that, you know, there's still an interest and people want to talk about this. It is my work. I'm always interested in talking about uh, my work, whether it's the past stuff or anything that's coming up. So I, you know, I appreciate you giving me and giving me the time of day. No, it's awesome, Tim. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. Take care. Do, did, Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate.